How's everyone doing today? I want to thank you all for joining me on episode 6 of the book club. My name is Angelo and I'll be your host today. If you somehow stumbled across my podcast, then you're in for a real treat today. Each week, the members of my book club pick a book to read and I'll answer any questions they have so my readers can gain a better understanding of the text. I also like to add a little bit of humor because nobody wants to listen to some random guy talk their ear off without any sort of entertainment. Alright, so last week you read The Vicar of Wakefield by Oliver Goldsmith. Matt Andrews, one of my readers, emailed me a question, so we're going to cover that in today's episode. His question was, how does The Vicar of Wakefield change over the course of the novel? My question to you, Matt, is did you read the book? Because this change was clear as daylight, my friend. For those of you who don't know, this book is about a vicar and his lovely wife, Deborah, and his children, George, Olivia, and Sophia. The vicar also has three more children, but he never talks about them in the novel. If I had six kids, I'd probably cut half of them out of my life, too. The vicar starts out this novel as a very wealthy man who is overly concerned about his family's well-being as he doesn't want them to fall into society's traps. He also cares too much about his social status, which comes back to hurt him time and time again. Not long into the book, the vicar loses all of his money to a crook. Shocker. He's truly not concerned with his financial matters if he decides to trust one random guy with all of his money. The vicar also contradicts himself a ton in the first half of this book. If I got a dollar for each time he contradicts himself, I'd be able to pay off my student debts. But seriously, the guy just can't get his story straight. At first he says that money doesn't matter then proceeds to largely base a person for how much money they have. So after the vicar and his family find themselves poor and left with few options, they decide to move to a new town. During their journey, they stop at an inn for the night. At this inn, they meet a man who is known to us as Mr. Birchill. So of course then, Mr. Birchill and the vicar strike up a conversation. So Birchill travels with them to the town, and suddenly Sophia, who if you don't already know is the vicar's daughter, falls off her horse and into a stream. Birchill heroically jumps off his horse and saves Sophia's life. Later that night, the vicar and his wife talk about the incident alone. In the text, the vicar says, My wife observing as we went that she liked Mr. Birchill extremely in protesting that if he had birth and fortune to entitle him to match into such a family as ours, she knew no man would sooner fix upon. I could not but smile to hear her talk in this strain. End quote. Volume 1, Chapter 3. So it's pretty clear in this book that Birchill is the best suitor for Sophia so far. However, the vicar would disagree with us solely because Birchill is a poor man. The vicar's pride for social status gets in the way when he says, I could not but smile to hear her talk in this strain. Spoiler alert if you haven't read the book. This quest for maintaining a social status ends up biting him in the ASS. The worst part about the situation is that, is that the vicar has polluted the minds of his family to believe that they need to hold a high status. Let me remind you that this is a quote from his, from his wife. Instead of an interjecting and saying wealth doesn't matter if he's in the right for if he's the right one for our daughter, she disagrees with him. As we make our way through the text, the vicar's contradictions as well as his problems only seem to get worse. There's a correlation between the vicar contradicting himself and the hopes of maintaining a high high status. He once reprimanded his family for showing off their wealth then just agrees to let it happen so people think of his family more highly. After giving his family the okay on showing off a little bit, his girls decide that they want to show up to church by horse. 
Of course a dilemma comes up, and they end up walking just like everyone else. My favorite example of this attempt to show off their wealth is with the family portrait. <laughs> this one really cracks me up. So after Birchall stops coming around, sneaky Squire Thornhill starts to come by the vicar's house more and more often. In preparation for a family portrait, Squire asks to be included in their portrait, which normally would show interest in becoming part of any family. Little do they know how sneaky he is. In the text, the vicar says, start quote, But the hopes of having him for a son-in-law, in some measures blinded us to all his defects. It must be owned that my wife laid a thousand schemes to entrap him. End quote. That's from chapter 16. And this speaks largely into the fact of a man who is a clout chaser. Yes, I did just use that term. He literally says himself, in some measures blinded us to all his defects. Like, yeah, I know that this man treats women like dog crap, and I really don't care if he does that to my daughter, as long as people know that she's married to a rich man. <laughs> Plenty of people have warned the vicar about the woman he sleeps with and how poorly he treats them all. He says that he wants the best for his family, but this is just another instance where his self-interest gets the best of him. Clearly, his morals are off in this case, and believe it or not, this isn't the worst part of the scenario. The family portrait that they take, and for some reason includes Squire, did not a painting of themselves. They are all depicted as historical figures. My man Vic wants all the clout, but seriously, this is just bad. The painting shows lack of cohesion as a family, since the historical figures have a lack of connection to one another. I could just picture the vicar saying, Guess what, family? I'm going to be George Washington today. Alrighty, who do you guys want to be? <laughs> the painting is also too big to fit on the wall, so it just sits there awkwardly on the floor, and the whole town gets a good chuckle out of it. This clearly shows the vicar's burning self-interest there, and is unfortunately, his family is affected by it as the novel goes on. Alright, now we finally get to the second half of the novel as things only intensify. I will say this, though. At the very end of the novel, the vicar realizes that fortitude is more important than self-satisfaction. And that's the biggest change that Goldsmith wants the readers to take away from this. However, it takes a while for the vicar to realize that just because he's so stubborn and set in his ways. In the second half of The Vicar of Wakefield, the vicar experiences many misfortunes. To name a few, he becomes very sick, gets badly burned by a fire, his house burns down, and he goes to jail. The good thing from this is that all these misfortunes woke the vicar up from his blindness to reality. He finally goes back to his true values, but we don't see that until the very end of the novel. So we see him continue fighting against his pride until he, this realization occurs. While his daughter Olivia goes missing, he is quick to assume that Birchall had something to do with it, instead of Squire Thornhill. And this situation is actually really interesting here because the vicar accuses Squire too. My take on this is that he probably knew Squire had something to do with it, he just didn't want to believe it because he's so set on Squire marrying his daughter. This relates to my earlier quote from chapter 16 where the vicar says, But the hopes of having him for a son-in-law in some measure blinded us to all his defects. I would critique his quote here since he does say in some measures he lets things slide, while it seems this is always the case here. In my opinion, after Olivia is found, the vicar starts to put everything into perspective and rewind events that he could have handled better. The vicar slowly realizes that the good guys are the ones he's doubted the entire time. With this realization, his knowledge only grows. His viewpoint shifts from how can a man be happy to how can a man bounce back from adversity. After the vicar finds out that Squire Thornhill abducted his daughter, the most surprising thing happens. He actually stands up for himself against the prick squire. 
Squire says that he will keep Olivia as his wife, and the vicar goes off on him. At this point, he cares less about maintaining a high social status and more about what's actually best for his family. Good for you, Vic. However, being their landlord, Squire does not take this matter lightly. The next morning, a steward comes to their house demanding rent that the vicar obviously can't pay. As a result, two officers come to arrest him, and obviously Squire takes great pleasure in this. While in prison, the vicar instructs his family how they will take care of themselves without the man of the house to take care of them. What I really like here is that there's no BS or no self-interest here. You see that the vicar truly has the best interest for his family. Also, he aims to better himself and the inmates through God while in prison. He constructs a plan for everyone to make their situation better by giving them little jobs and rewarding good behavior. The old vicar would not do this since most of the men are probably not the same social class as he is. In the text it says, By the end of a fortnight, he had formed them into something social and humane, and had, the pre- and had the pleasure of regarding himself as a legislator. That's from chapter 17. And that's from chapter 27. I'm not sure about you guys, but this quote makes me really happy. This is when the vicar really realizes that fortitude is more important than self-satisfaction. He puts the needs of everyone in the prison in front of his as he follows his faith in God. The vic realizes that while he has it bad, others have it way worse than he does, and he should be thankful for the life he has. So while in prison, he takes time to reflect on the past and give back to those who could use his help. After this event, only good things start to happen for the vicar and his family. The vicar's fortune is recovered from when he lost it at the very beginning of the novel. Sophia ends up marrying Sir William Thornhill, who was disguised as Mr. Birchill, and George ends up marrying a lovely girl named Arabella. The moral of the story is that Sir William Thornhill and Arabella are both the best fit for the vicar's children, because their social status wasn't taken into account here. The vicar ends the narrative by saying, I now had nothing on this side of the grave to wish for. All my cares were over. My pleasure was unspeakable. It now remained that my gratitude is good fortune, and good fortune should exceed my former submission in adversity. That's from chapter 33. When he says, All my cares were over. My pleasure was unspeakable. He means that he is finally at peace with where he's at in life, and no longer affected by the opinions of others have about him. His children are happily married, and he has nothing to complain about. Alright, that's all we have time for today, folks. Tune in next week for episode 7 of The Book Club.